Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land and independent music world. Thank you for downloading this podcast. And I know that if you've been listening to this show for quite some time, you hear me say a lot of the same things over and over. But I genuinely do appreciate you listening to the show. I'm very excited to tell you about the guest today, and that is Adam McGrath from Caven. Caven looms so large in my life. If you want to dive like, I don't know, seven years back in the archive, you can hear me punish Stephen Brodsky on a podcast. We actually met at a cafe and it was probably one of the most nerve wracking recording experiences because I was like, we're recording in a cafe. There's gonna be a lot of stuff going on. And um, I probably need to go back and like re-edit that episode. But regardless... I'm so excited to have Adam because Caven has released a new record called Heavy Pendulum. And if you have not listened to it, please do yourself a favor. It's probably one of my favorite records of the year. I definitely think that they not only returned to form, but they, they had something to say. And I think that's incredibly important when bands come back, that it's just not the idea of like, oh, let's take a victory lap or whatever. It's like, I've got something to say. I want to express myself. I want to express all the things that we've been experiencing some, you know, 10 odd, ten odd years away as a band, which is exactly what Caven did. But uh, Adam also has played in a bunch of other bands. He's a lifer. He's one of those dudes that's just been playing music for as long as uh, he could pick up the guitar. But I love this conversation, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I always accept all of those. It would be funny if like, I had some spam filter <laughs> that only like 10% of the emails came across, but that's not the case. I get them all. And uh, more on that in a moment because I have some uh, interesting feedback to share. But if you wanted to help out the show for absolutely free, zero charge to you whatsoever, just go on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, leave a star review. Those things are immensely helpful. You can do the same thing on Spotify, except there's no reviews. You can just leave a five-star rating if you so desire, and it costs you absolutely nothing except 30 seconds of your time. I, um, you know, emails, like I mentioned, it's one of those things that it's important for me to, um, I don't know, just be here and communicate with people because podcasting in and of itself is kind of an isolating medium, but I have had a lot of amazing experiences around the show. I've also had negative experiences, (laughs) namely, um, sometimes when people, you know, decide to email negative thoughts and which is fine. Like sometimes it's coming from a place of love (laughs) and they're like, Hey, actually, you know, this is, this is something that I'm noticing about your show, or this is something I noticed about you. So I recently got an email from a person that uh, was saying that they were a new listener, which 
I appreciate that. It's awesome. But they were talking about certain phrases that I say. And it was, it was pretty apparent to me that this person had listened to, you know, a very large amount of episodes in a short period of time. And maybe those uh, little verbal tics that I have come up a little bit easier when you have mainlined 10 hours of a particular uh, podcast like this one. And he was, he, he was using the word, the word that sticks out to me was a cringe. He was like, I cringe when you say these things. And uh, ultimately, I mean, I wrote back and I was, you know, very diplomatic and, and kind in regards to just like, hey, I appreciate this feedback. Um, it's that these are just things that I say and I apologize if they make you cringe. But um, we all have our own verbal tics and crutches and things that we say. And especially when you're listening to, you know, maybe a few episodes in a row, you'll start to notice those things. But I don't know. It's just it was uh, it was interesting to hear that because sometimes you uh, are just kind of you know going along about your life, and very rarely do we hear criticism unless it's like a you know job review at work or something like that. But, anyways, the the only real reason of me bringing that up was the fact that even if it is a thought that you want to share, that be like, oh, this this may bum Ray out. I'm still open to it. <laughs> so email the show one hundred words podcast at gmail dot com. I also want to thank everybody for checking out the live episode that I posted last week with Nate from Zabalba and Brian from Not Loose. It was, uh, I, I was nervous because anytime you put out a live podcast, there's that feeling of like, oh, so this is, you know, like a filler week <laughs> or something that is not as uh, maybe interesting or engaging as the quote unquote typical content, uh, which by the way, is one of the things that, uh, the kind emailer <laughs> said that I say a lot, but you know, how am I supposed to uh, signify air quotes? Anyways, I digress. But everybody was very kind about the live episode and said that it was uh, a nice change of pace, enjoyable, and I there's a few other adjectives peppered in there, but I appreciate that feedback. So anyways, let's talk to Adam. Kaven. oh my, I, <laughs> I was actually trying to count up before I spoke to Adam how many times I had seen Kaven personally, and it's the better part of like 30 plus times. It is an absurd amount. I just love Kaven, and I continue to love them, and you should check out Heavy Pendulum. So here is Adam. Kaven has personally been in my life ever since uh, Beyond the Hypothermia. Like, I'm a 41-year-old, uh, you know, aging hardcore kid. Nice, has, old uh, school. Oh, yes, definitely, real yes. Fan. Well, I appreciate that. I, <laughs> I mean, definitely. <laughs> honestly, like, I was actually trying to uh, recollect how many times I've seen you guys play. And, I mean, honestly, it's probably over 30, 35 oh, times wow. just because... Like I mean, you know what it's like, especially when you play in bands where you just happen to be in the same city and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like, you know, watch like, of course, I'll see Caven when they're playing Vegas or whatever. Oh, um, right. And it, it feels very interesting for me to watch you guys literally grow up musically, which sounds weird to say because, you know, that's like uh it just feels yeah like i said it feels weird to say that because you're like oh yeah i guess i've been aging along with this band and watching them as they you know evolve musically um is that weird for you to kind of reflect on the fact that it's like oh yes my literal music history is uh documented you know <laughs> warts and all so to speak uh you know it, i've been thinking about it a lot lately honestly and it's it's a trip you know it's a trip to still be doing caving with 43 years old um to look back and see you know everything we the highs and lows and the things we accomplished and you know um obviously losing Caleb along the way i mean it's been it's been a crazy trip it's been a crazy crazy experience and i feel so lucky there's not many people i know my age putting out like new records with their band they were in when they were in high school you know this is a crazy experience <laughs> 
you know, it's like, I'm like rubbing my eyes. I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, I'm still doing caving. This is, this is crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and I'm sure too, with the fact that the musical evolution that you guys have gone through and all the different permutations of the band where you are able to watch people who probably hated you when you became quote unquote softer <laughs> and then came full circle where it's like, Oh, actually, you know what? Jupiter is pretty sick. <laughs> It certainly happened. I mean, people, there's a lot of people that have come full circle, you know, um, and, you know, and even with this new record, we have like all, all these people who have never, who like, Oh, I've heard of that band, but I've never actually listened to them. You know, it's, it's still happening. Um, yeah. And people have come around to, and, you know, some people go back, there's, there's certainly uh, a corner of our audience that are just only antenna fans, you know, that only know that record and they go back and they're like, what the hell's going on? You know, <laughs> yeah, like why they're yelling at me. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I, I was, I've been saying this in interviews and things like that. I mean, we had just relearned that until your heart stops last winter and, um, relearning it was a lot of fun and also relearning it. You can hear, you can hear Caven in that record. You can hear, you can hear what's coming, you know? And, um, I think anyway, you know, it's in there, you know, I'm sure you can, people will like, well, how come you don't have any more, more like chugga chugga, but you know, we just kind of went the other way really, <laughs> you know, but you can hear it. It's in there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, and that's the thing where I think these seeds, you know, I mean, even from the, you know, whatever split seven inch with piebald and all that stuff, like you see seeds of it where it's like, especially too, from the fact that, you know, yes, you guys were young and, you know, by all stretch of the imagination, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, proficient at your instruments than maybe some of your friends, but it, it wasn't like you guys were, you know, completely throwing the baby out with the bathwater every single time where it was like, all right, now let's be a, you know, prog rock band or whatever. It was like, no, you're just, the evolution was there. You're planting the seeds, so to speak. Yeah, and I feel like we've always been caving. This, you know, if, if you go back to it, I mean, there's there's definitely moments where we, I think we're pushing a little too far out, and we're kind of getting too far away from what makes us good. And I think we're stretching almost too far. Um, it's maybe, sometimes we have maybe we didn't stretch enough, but um, I think now we kind of know who we are as a band. Um, but we, um, we certainly didn't like it. Wasn't you know reinventing the band was based upon the way we had to do it at that time you know uh, until your heart stops we started writing as a five piece and we ended, we finished writing it as a four piece and steve had taken on you know being a vocalist and i think it was quite the undertaking and i think it was you know it was when you're you know 19 years old that's that's quite a that's quite an undertaking to be like the front man of like a, a metal band all of a sudden and just like try to sing like that every night and perform like an entire you know 30 minute set and Steve will say that he, you know, and we all didn't really know how to take care of ourselves back then. So it was really hard on him, you know, and doing that until your heart stuff stuff is really rough on his voice and rough to like maintain every night, you know, um, constructively. But right. Uh, and once we got Caleb, though, you know, when the, that four piece lineup, we kind of, uh, you know, had to figure out what we were best at and what was sustainable for what we could do. And that's kind of why we changed. And I also think we were getting pigeonholed. And I think we I don't think we wanted to be pigeonholed as just a metalcore band. You know, I think we had more to offer. Mm -hmm. But it was also like sustainability, honestly, to try to like keep on going with the lineup that we really felt really solid with. But how can we play and write songs that, you know, we can play every night? We're not blowing ourselves out, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, especially with that idea that when you're crafting this stuff, you don't expect like, yes, you expect to have, you know, a monicum of an audience. But then once the, the, the weight of expectations after you after you put your art out in the world and being like, oh, so we have to do this every night? Like, you know, I know that that is being a little hyperbolic there, but just the the idea of replicating it, it's like, yeah, yeah, we got to be able to like do this for 45 minutes, you know, for 27 shows in a row. 
For sure. Yeah. And, you know, that that was until your heart stops is the first time I saw California. You know, there's a whole there was a crazy, innocent time where seeing the United States, you know, yep. for the first time. And like we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we didn't know how to eat, take care of ourselves, eat well. Eat well, <laughs> you know, we didn't know how to, uh, you know, just exist. Right. <laughs> yeah. We didn't know how to take care of ourselves, perform great sets every night. Um, so, you know, that, you know, that, that, that looking back, these are why we, we kind of evolved the way we did, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely saw you guys on that, uh, tour you did with Iyer at the, uh, barn in Riverside and it oh, was, man. uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Deep cut there. But, um, Jesuit remember, was on that too, I, right? I, remember Jim- the, I, I believe they were. And I, I remember that show. Like I have a vision of that show. And I, I, that was the first show that I played with the Marshall that I bought on the sunset strip the day before. <laughs> and this is like the first that was the first time I was on the Sunset Strip and I had bought a Marshall because we were just ripping through amps that whole tour. So and we were making like you know, this is back in the day of selling CDs. So we were making we had like stacks of cash in our sleeping bags from selling CDs. So we're just buying like fancy amplifiers in Los Angeles. And I remember that that's why I remember that show because I had a Marshall for the first time and I was so pumped. <laughs> oh, dude, that's like the the literal rock and roll dream, so to speak. Like yeah, I get to go to Hollywood and buy this really cool amp. Oh man, it was a trip. And you know, that that's the amp that later burned in the cave and fire on the ISIS tour. So that amp later burned, but um Right. <laughs> that's why that's why I remember that sh- that show though. And um again, my first time in California. You know, that that was the first time I saw the West Coast. Yeah, no, it's it's so cool to have those experiences and especially have certain, you know, memories and shows stick out for it isn't even necessarily the fact that like, oh, the show's good or bad, but you just have these little moments that stick out where I was like, oh man, I remember we played, you know, like football outside or whatever. <laughs> just yeah, those little things. Totally. Uh, well, well, we'll pull on more of those threads a little bit later, but I want to focus on you as an individual. Um, were you actually born and raised in the Merrimack Valley? I was like, you know, trying to do some internet sleuthing and uh, couldn't really figure that out. I was, I was born in Methuen, Massachusetts. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. First breath of air, Methuen, Mass. <laughs> that, um, uh, that's amazing. So especially too, with like, I think so much has been, you know, uh, looked at in regards to the scene that you guys came up in, in regards to just the, the wide amount of bands from a sonic perspective, that all kind of were doing their own things, but we're all pulling from, you know, similar DIY punk and hardcore playbooks. Um, So it's really cool that there was so much stuff happening that you guys were all, you know, bouncing off of each other around. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel really lucky. You know, we, the, the, I met my friends via playing music in school, and that's how Jar and I and Steve were connected. We're just being interested in music and being fans of music. And at that time, um, you know, in the '90s, it was you know Smashing Pumpkins, Alice in Chains, Nirvana, the Soundgarden. Um, you know, we love Metallica, things like that's the stuff we were really focused upon. Um, and then starting to get interested, I think Nirvana was kind of a gateway to get interested in underground music via like Nirvana mentioning the Melvins and then being turned on to Fugazi, Fugazi being a- attached to Discord and then like the, all, kind of these roadmaps of finding out the underground. And then, you know, kind of for me, finding out about like Revelation Records was like I found out about that band Into Another, um, which I loved at the time and hearing Into Another, I know it sounds so funny, Into Another and Fugazi um, Repeater and Into Another's Ignorus were like some of the first quote-unquote underground records i heard and when i heard those records it was like a a, a, a galaxy uh, that i needed to explore it was the it was like these are the shows i need to go to these are the bands i need to see you know um and even the shows i was going to locally at the time like the all ages so they're very much focused upon um you know grunge and the bands were focused the bands kind of sound like nirvana or the bands sound like jane's addiction or like you know whole things like that but there's a place called red barn 
where it was definitely different. The vibe was much more hardcore and punk rock, and you can feel the vibe. And I was very much attracted to that. And that's kind of where I would start to see those the Pieball guys around. And the Pieball guys very much were um, monumental and for me, seeing them play and then just being connected to their world of being introduced to all types of cool underground music, um, you know, set hardcore seven inches, which were really like prevalent at the time, um, turned on to, you know, Revelation Records, uh, you know, Ebula- Ebulation Records, the West Coast label, uh, Victory Records, all those bands going on, all those bands on those labels at that time. But seeing Pieball back then was very instrumental in making at least me and, the you know, Steve, the Caven guys being like, I want to be a part of this. Like, we have to get a band going so we could play with bands like this. You know, this is this is a whole different thing. Right. They were they were certainly the roadmap for us, you know? Yeah, no, it's great. Especially too when you are watching these bands start to take hold and play in front of, you know, even if it's a few people, it's just like that aspirational thing that kind of moves you forward where it's like, dude, maybe one day we will have a seven inch, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and also but it was also the way they played too. It was different, you know. Like I said, the grunge the grunge the shows I went to the Hibernian pub or like the VFW halls that everyone was wearing like flannels and the dudes had hair like Kurt Cobain. I'm not dissing this. This is wonderful times of my life. But when I saw Pieball, there was much more um, confrontational, coming from a different um, emotional place, you know. And this this is like kind of proto emo back then. But they were like just kind of rolling around, knocking mic stands over. It was really uh, quite the performance that I was really you know attracted to. Yeah, and I knew, and I knew they were from Andover, and I had, I think I'd, also at this time I'd heard converge on a compilation which finding out converge were from andover across the river from methuen that just blew my mind you know hearing converge divinity is the first song i ever heard from converge and it it really changed everything i couldn't believe that this was local i couldn't believe this was going on a town over from me it just was like this was high art for me you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure and especially too with like the earliest piebald i mean so many people um you know, like when life hands you lemons and prior to that, it's just like they were such a spastic band that was really, you know, more indebted to exactly what you're talking about, the ebullition scene and stuff. And uh yeah, to be able to like put all of that out there for them and you watching these guys just, you know, absolutely freaking out and, you know, throwing their guitars on the floor. It was like, oh, I, I got to do this. Exactly. exactly. And I, I, you know, Converge at that time were kind of on a hiatus. I remember seeing 7% Solution, which was like a side project of Kurt at the time. And again, like I'd never seen, you know, these guys were just playing. It was a whole different thing. You know, they were just playing at a different level, doing a whole different trip on music, a whole different uh, presentation, uh, sounds. I was just so attracted to it. And I was just so excited that it was going on locally that I, you know, I could just sink my teeth into it. Yeah, and I was trying uh, to try to get Caven rolling. You know, like we need to be a part of this. You know, totally. Yeah, let's let's sign up. Whatever that means. <laughs> um. So you you as you as a, a person were you you know, like what was the family structure? Like, you know, mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters. What did that look like? Um, I was raised by my mom. I saw my dad, like kind of like had a a divorced, um, you know, family arrangement where I saw my dad, like every other weekend up until I was old enough to like, be like, I don't want to go to my dad's this weekend. I want to hang out with my friends, you know, sort of arrangement. Um, but I was, you know, pretty much raised by my mom. Um, and she, I think she did the best she could for like looking back upon a single mom raising two boys, you know, in the late eighties into the nineties, you know, I think she did really the best she could. Um, You know, I'm a a perfect example of those kids of like being kind of left to my own devices. And there was times where I'm sure my mom had no idea what was going on with, you know, 
because this this is pre cell phones and things, so you can do whatever you want back then. <laughs> totally, yeah. Um, you just like show up, show up for dinner, please. Yeah, um, you know she she had very basic rules, but um, you know my mom was very good for me, and I had a very safe and you know food on the table every night, very safe place to live, and I have nothing, um, no qualms about my no qualms about growing up that in my mom's house. Um, aside from you know I was the firstborn. So I had to break a lot of ice, you know, as far as that goes. <laughs> <laughs> right. You had to be the trailblazer of like, oh, so I can't do this. My mom will get really mad at me. Yeah. Or I had, you know, or I had to be like, I'm going to do it anyway and she'll get over it, you know, but and my, bro- <laughs> and my brother would just like, you know, just, he, he could do it like nothing, you know, he, <laughs> brother could do whatever he wants. Totally. Um, the, uh, the baby of the family definitely, yeah. you know, can kind of get away with stuff where it's like, okay, Adam, like you're not getting a tattoo at 16, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, when you get older, you really... You know, now I look back upon it. I mean, I couldn't even imagine raising two boys. You know, I couldn't even imagine doing it on my own and like, you know, having a couple weekends to myself. And I, I think about these things now and, you know, your parents had no road, no, no like manual, you know, and I, I was pretty lucky. I lucked out, you know, and my mom did the best she could and everything. You know, I think my brother and I turned out pretty good. Rockabilia is one of the best places that you can buy internet merchandise. When I say internet merchandise, it's not like merchandise from the internet, but they are a collector of all things awesome. And regardless of the genre of music that you enjoy, they will have something for you. And please use this promo code, 100 words or less. That is the promo code that gets you 10% off your entire order. And I think you would say that that's a good deal, right? So go to their website, poke around half a million items, independently run business. They have been doing it for 20 plus years and they love what they do. So trust me in saying that you are supporting bands when you are purchasing merch from there because it's all officially licensed stuff. So again, use the promo code 100 words or less. Shout out to Rockabilia. What did your, uh, what did your mom do for a living as she was raising you guys? Um, she was a school teacher, but then she kind of went back to school and became like a guidance counselor in Drake at High. Um, you know, kind of did the same, kind of the same thing her whole life. Same, she worked at the same place my whole life. I mean, went to Drake at High every day that until she retired. You know, um, amazing. Yeah, yeah. She that the the literal definition of a career. Yep, pretty much. And, you know, she's yeah. pretty happy. You know, she's you know doing. She's very much a boomer. You know, but I love her very much. But she does all the cliche boomer things that they make fun of on television. But I love her very much. You know? <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> don't 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 we all? Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, what kind of kid did you find yourself? You know, being were you an indoor kid, outdoor kid, into sports? You know, outgoing, introverted. Where where would you kind of place yourself? The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. So the scales. I was pretty nerdy looking back upon it, you know, because my my dad wasn't around. I, I don't think I was, I think if my dad was around, I would have been into sports more. But because he wasn't, I wasn't really into competitive things at all. Um, like, you know, I like nerdy things like Star Wars. I was very much into music a lot, you know, very from a very young age. Um, but, you know, I was into nerdy things like Star Wars, Never Ending Story, Space Camp, Goonies, all those movies. Um, you know, very much to my own devices, kind of like very imaginative kid, like walk around the neighborhood, just imagining things, imagining different like, scenarios, worlds, um, you know, kind of like comic book worlds, very much into comic books. I was very much into pro wrestling when I was a kid, which kind of like came back later on in life, you know, but also into music. I was obsessed with Kiss, you know, uh, which was for many years. And then like later on and got into like, you know, uh, you know, the grunge music that was going on at that time, because we were all the perfect age for that, like I said, but um wasn't really into sports like got it got into skiing was in the ski club just because i like to ski in the winter and being from new england you know trying to make your winters good um so i was in the right. ski club in the winter which i still ski when i can to this day um but always like a big fan of music which i wanted to get you know my mom got me guitar lessons and i took guitar lessons at the methuen mall um which no longer exists anymore it's now called the loop but the methuen mall the actual building has been destroyed uh, but I took, uh, you know, guitar lessons in, I, I think I started sixth grade because I was very interested in music. Like I said, the first song I learned was More Than Words by Extreme, you know. No, and, uh, dude, so uh, good. <laughs> um, you know, just kind of took it from there and tried to find my, you know, my, my, like I said, everything was based upon music. My friendships through school started to be based upon the music I listened to and talking to my friends about music and turning each other on to things. You know, when I met Jr. You know, we would get into music. My, I think Jaron and I's first conversation when I met Jaron in sixth grade was talk about Rush's Tom Sawyer. You know, we were, I was always nerdy about music and always interested in music. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's the beauty of music, especially where you are developing an identity and that crucial, you know, whatever, fifth grade to whatever, you know, senior year of high school, you trying to figure out who you are as a person and then how you can view it through the lens of whatever it is you're passionate about, you know, usually music or sports or whatever. And so it's cool that you're able to latch onto that and to have other things that you can show people to be like, hey, this is my identity. (laughs) You know, like, I really like this. You should like it too. Yeah, totally. And I and I really enjoyed being with like the, you know, the, the headbanger crew in eighth grade that turned into like the weird alternative rock crew in high school that turned into like the hardcore punk rock crew later on in high school and then graduated into college. You know? Totally. Yeah. And that, was, that was pretty much the graduation of it. We were like metalheads into alternative kids into like hardcore emo, proto emo kids into college. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's a perfect trajectory. Yeah. Um, and so was school... I, of interest to you like what was kind of the you know proverbial life path as it were in regards to you know did your mom want you to be in education like was there any expectations placed around that um education was big with my mom and her family for sure and she definitely was hell-bent on me going to college which i went you know and she had the dream of really like help you know my family to, to like help me get through college which they did and i you know i'm very thankful for that you know, I think, however, though, looking back upon it, um, you know, me and my mom talk about this to this day because she's, 
she she's like, you know, I wish you would have made this decision or this decision. I wish you would have gone to this college. But it's every decision I made because I, I mean, I joined Caven when I was 16 or 15, 15 or 16. Every decision I made in life after that was based upon being in that band for better or for worse. You know what I mean? Um, totally. So going to college, I went to college in Boston because I knew I could keep caving together. You know what I mean? I didn't go. I, I, you know, looking back, I probably would have loved going to UMass Amherst. It's beautiful out there. I love Western Mass. Probably would have loved it, but I stayed around because I wanted to do caving. And in hindsight, yep. to me, sitting here right now on the today, I, it was all worth it. You know, but every decision I made, I think because I joined Caven very on early on, it was all based upon sticking around for that band. You know? Yeah. No, I, I love that idea because it, there is that especially too where there's no kind of future planning in regards to the band besides the fact that like oh yes i you know want to tour i want to release a demo tape and then you know maybe put out a record and but you build your life around it because you want to be you know present and accessible because like the moment that you <laughs> you aren't you definitely don't get thought of and you're like well yeah well adam, adam can't play in the band anymore he can't drive you know four hours because he's going to college in vermont or whatever it's like that's not happening yeah, you know, move, you know, it'll move on without you. And I just, I just loved it. I mean, I loved it. I loved it from high school on. And I just couldn't see myself giving it up. Um, you know, and like I said, looking back upon this now, you know, it's a little crazy, you know, a little delusional, but I'm happy I did it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I really am, you know? I mean, it's like, it, it, even now, like I said, being doing this still now at 43, I'm like, what a trip. I'm like, I, I can't believe I, I'm still doing it. And I'm, I'm really happy I am. I really am, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, is Caven ostensibly like your first band? Because, you know, like you said, you did join in, join them when you were 16. Um, is, was that your first, I guess, band that actually, um, you know, recorded something or had you played in stuff before that? Um, I did this band. I think we were, God, we were called like Switch, maybe. We had a terrible name, but we put, we okay. wrote a bunch of songs, played like a backyard and played in Lowell, Massachusetts once. I don't think we ever recorded anything and I had no studio experience. Caven was the first band where I got real experience. Um, and Steve is, Steve is, you know, very much when I got in, you know, his world, he was very much ahead of the game as far as his playing and his ear and his, um, he already knew how to really, I know it's going to sound funny, but he knew his way around the four track. But back then, you know, he, no one I knew how to, knew how to use a four track, but he did. You know what I mean? So he yep. was really like, I, when I joined Caven, the demo was, it started to lay down the demo and just try to lay things down. I had no experience of recording. So it just was really rough early on. You know, all my experience of becoming who I am and polished and who I am as a player comes from playing in Caven for sure. Um, right. Everything no, I've I learned, amp, everything, you know? That's awesome. I, I just, I, I know, especially from many people's experiences where it's like when you look at people's first band experience and then <laughs> certain things where you're just like, this can't be your first band, is it? And then just, the, <laughs> it's like, no, like, it, yeah, it, it technically was my first band and I'm still playing in it. It's just so cool to ha hear that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You know, it's, like, it's <laughs> totally like, even telling people who I haven't seen in a while, like, oh, what are you doing? Like, oh, recording a record. Like, with who? I'm like, oh, cave, cave in. Still. Totally. Totally. Yeah, you know that you know that band I did in high school where we yeah. drove around in a van? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much still doing that. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, so, That's really yeah, cool. I mean, this is a unique experience, you know, and I'm just trying to enjoy it. I'm just trying yep. to enjoy it. <laughs> that, 
Absolutely. Uh, and like you mentioned, when you first started to, you know, become aware of more independent minded bands, you know, the Fugazis and all that stuff that you mentioned, and then, you know, getting turned on to Piebald Converge, um, what do you think attracted to you? Like once you started to go to shows and kind of see that, um, you know, the, that energy happening in small spaces, was it the fact that it seemed, uh, I guess attainable for you, or was there another thought process of what kind of drew you into those, uh, those type of shows? Um, there's a bunch of things. I think straight edge drew me to it at that time. You know, um, I thought I think the veganism, vegetarianism thing, the, the politics of it was interesting to me. The way that the bands performed, the way that the bands pre- presented themselves, the way the demos looked, the way the records looked. Um, I was just really um, I, I was just drawn to it. You know, uh, I remember by, by going to Newbury Comics in Salem, New Hampshire and buying seven inches just based upon what was on the cover, like buying chokehold and stilled because on the back the dude had x's on his hands you know and that, that's you know and i love that record you know yeah um, buying just buying records that had the revelation logo on the back you know like okay but this is oh, this is called burn i'll buy this this is called statue i'll buy this um you know quicksand uh, all these all have rev logos just checking things out same thing with discord you know um blue tip Longfish. um Hoover. Hoover is really important to me back then. I mean, I still love Hoover, but just based upon the label, you know, just finding those things. Um, I, yeah, I, so you're, I so just, you're so just doing, yeah, you're just doing very deep dives where it was like, okay, aesthetically, I like this. I like the way the record looks. And then, you know, there's a cosine as far as the label is concerned. So basically you were just doing everything you could to pick up stuff that was related to the things that you had previously liked. Right. Yeah. And I was checking it all out. I, and I loved all the different scenes and starting to put together the way the scenes kind of were. Like I had this image of, you know, Fugazi, they play, they play SGs. And, you know, uh, you, you go to like uh, the West Coast, the, those guys all have like the Morrissey haircuts, but they're playing Les Pauls, you know what I mean? They're right. Broken scene. And then like you would have like just these weird things I would have about the scene. Then you have the Philadelphia scene, like the proto emo frail scene that, that later became like Ink and Dagger. Uh, just kind of all this different, these different scenes and these different ways that they looked and the way different ways they presented themselves. I was just so interested in it. I also love how that was kind of like the underground railroad. It was all kind of connected via mail or you would find out about it. Like I said, the label, cause this is pre-internet, you know, or you'd find out about via zines or like the, um, or ads and zines, like record labels putting ads. I would like kind of go through the list. I'm like, I need to check all this stuff out. Cause it's on this label, you know, um, if I could find it. Um, and it was also being turned on via the Pieball guys got me into a ton of stuff too. And I actually saw those guys re- um, a couple nights ago and I said to them, cause I've been, I'm like, I've been doing so many cave interviews lately and I've been talking about you guys a lot and you guys got us into a lot of great music back then. You know, you guys had a lot, you definitely had an edge on us cause they, they were a click older, you know, and they also had the Converge guys around. So they had a lot, they had definitely knew a lot about like Lincoln and universal order of Armageddon and um, just all these kind of weird, you know, underbelly yeah. bands <laughs> right well and especially too i i i really like how you are articulating the different you know not only types of scenes but then the sonic differences of the bands and then how you were able to kind of look at someone who even though you know is a year or two older they feel like infinitely older especially when you're you're just like you're 17 and they're 20 and you're just like oh my gosh like you're so much older than i am <laughs> but that they that but like you said that they can show you these things where it's like oh yeah check this thing out that's a little bit you know left of center and this was what gravity records is and then you start to be like oh okay this is san diego but a different san diego than you know unbroken or whatever exactly yeah you start to just put it all together and it was really interesting to me it really was there was so much there was great stuff going on at that time i'm 
Yeah, you know, people have a lot of uh, romanticism for like late '80s hardcore and things like that. But I, I'm, I'm really excited, happy that I experienced what I did and that that weird mid '90s to mid '90s going into the 2000s that I did. I thought it was really, it was awesome. It was I saw some great bands, some great shows, and innocent times too. A lot of stuff that's not going to happen anymore, you know, because of you know the internet and fire codes basically. But I saw a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. You're like, yeah, there's there's good reasons that those things exist, but you know, it was pretty cool to watch, you know, whatever botch play in front of uh, you know, a hundred people stuff in a room of twenty five capacity. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean the wild times, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And and so as you started to, you know, play and get out as far as uh, you know, touring and just even doing like weekend dates and stuff like that, were um you know, did the expectations, I guess, kind of meet the reality where it was like, wow, this is really cool. Or like, this is a lot, uh, you know, harder than I expected. What was your kind of mentality, you know, as you guys started to get out there a little bit? Um, you know, very naive, um, but also excited and really hungry to, to get that experience. Um, but it also weeded out, you know, to the weeded out some people to get to us to the lineup that we had for years, you know, we definitely weeded some people out because you learn, you know, looking back, you know, not everyone's wrote, not everyone can travel like that. Not everyone can travel on the road and eat like shit and not sleep. And, ha- you know, it's, it's kind of an unstable, crazy life and it's not for everyone. And, you know, you, you learn pretty quickly who you can travel with and who you can't, who can even handle it. And that's not a slight because it's not really a fun. It's, it is what it is. You know, it's not, if you don't want to, if you, you hate touring, I understand why let's put it that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, I, mean, I get it. Yeah. yeah it's not for everyone. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not sliding you. It's, it is what it is. Um, so, you know, it took a, uh, you know, we were really hungry for it on those forest tours or so those weekends we would do. I mean, I remember going to, I think the first weekend cave in did, we went to Albany, New York. And I remember thinking it was so far away. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so far away from home right now. I'm in New York state playing a show with cave in, but you know, Albany's not really that far. <laughs> right. <laughs> But the goal for us early on was to get to Florida. You know, that's what we watched Pieball do. And that seemed like a monumental goal to get to Florida and back, which we did at like the senior summer of our senior high school. Um, and again, we, we it, you know, it weeded out people who, you know, there was a lot of drama on that tour. But, you know, it was all kids. You know, we we're all I think there was like nine people in a 15 passenger van all crammed in. It was it was it was tight. You know, totally. <laughs> yeah. And that's when we first met Caleb. We met Caleb on that trip. So something great came out of that. You know, and that first tour was, uh, it was probably, it was insanity and a lot of fighting and drama, but that's where we first met Caleb and, you know, look where we went from there, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And, um, you, you know, a, a lot has been said in the press and, you know, in regards to, you know, I mean, not only beyond hypothermia, but, you know, until your heart stops and you guys have spoken exhaustively about that, um, and I personally think in regards to, you know, when you guys made this shift sonically from Until Your Heart Stops to Jupiter, uh, you know, that took a lot of people, not necessarily by surprise, but like, oh, like they had to reckon with it a different way. And I personally always reflected on the fact that, um, you know, when you guys released the Creative Eclipses EP, that was, you know, you were priming the pump. You were kind of being like, Hey guys, like this is kind of the direction that we're headed. Like it's, you know, yes, there are elements of what we used to do, but we are going to be kind of heading in a little bit of a different direction. Um, was that the intention of the EP or am I just like reading too much into it? Um, you know, look, it's looking back now, I'm, I think that's what we were doing. You know, I, um, I don't know if it was to diminish the shock, but it was definitely kind of like to put out some new material. Um, it was also getting our, getting, um, you know, getting some, 
time in with Brian McTurnan, kind of getting that relationship going, which he, you know, he recorded Jupiter. So kind of like getting uh, rekindling that and that, that, which kind of led into Jupiter. Um, I don't know if it was a, it wasn't a, a, a clear decision at that time to be like, we need to put this out to get people ready for Jupiter. I don't think it was that at the time. I think it was just very, it was pretty much pretty organic back then. Like, Oh, we have these songs. Let's put this out for, and then we have our next record. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, Luminance is, I love that, that song. We still play to this day. We've played that song for years. We, um, you know, we played it not too long ago. Um, yeah, no, it's an, I remember seeing you guys on that, uh, that, that aforementioned tour that you did with ISIS at, at the PCH club. And I did remember you guys breaking that out and it was like, I, I, and I know that a lot of people kind of felt this way where it's like, you heard the song and it was like, oh my gosh, like they're incorporating, you know, way more of their sort of melodic side. And then I remember, you know, getting the EP and just being like, oh my gosh, like I, I see where they're kind of headed. And so I, I do like the innocence of how you're talking about it. Where I was just like, well, it's an opportunity to record with Brian and we got these songs and segues and whatever. And like, you know, we got this failure cover, like, l- l- let's just try this out with Brian and see how this goes. Yeah, it, it kind of was that I believe you know, I, I, the session might have even been that we had to record something else and we used the time to record what later became that EP. You know what I mean? Um, I, I don't remember exactly the details, but I, I think we weren't, I think that EP came out of like recording for something else. I think we were there to record something else and that EP came out as well, just because we have the, we had those songs at the time. Um, and again, you know, Brian was a really good cheerleader at that time and really good at kind of, you know, um, cheering us on and being kind of like, you know, this is the, sounds great. Let's do this, you know? Yeah, um, and you know, even thinking about that song "Luminance," I, I just thinking we're just talking about it right now. It also has like a heavy Giants chair influence, which they were certainly or they were certainly inf- we were very much influenced by at that time. Um, there's definitely like that 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 ending part is complete Giants chair cop, which I love. <laughs> oh, absolutely no, and I I always really appreciated. Um, I mean, as a personal nerd fan, where it's like I got exposed to certain things, whether it was like honestly, like never listen to Failure, and like I, I had Kid Andrews on. <laughs> on this particular podcast and i was like yeah i only found out your ba- about your band through cave-in and it was funny to hear him just be like that's cool like you know people have said that before and so it, it is fun for you guys to be able to do that because that can you know pay it forward even though you know you arguably are just being like oh yeah we just want to rip this band off because like we love them so much oh, yeah, but it's them. like yeah it's just so cool to be able to you know kind of push that ball down the court to be like oh yes yeah, so you should pay attention to our influences because this is also meaningful to us yeah and it's, yeah. it's it's funny. I, I I think it's awesome that people find out about a failure from Kaven because you know Brodsky, when we were kids, man, he was like the biggest. He was the only kid in Methuen who knew about failure, and he was fanatical about them. Like he right. was the one lone kid in Methuen who was like, "This is the only record that matters." You know what I mean? There's it's nothing so else. You know, the failure magnified. There's nothing else. And it was cool. You know, to this day, he's you could hear the influence. But back then, he was even influenced by it. He, it was. It's it's really cool, you know. It's it's cool to to hear that, I guess, when people hear about failure from Caven, because it's like I said, Steve was loved that band when we were kids. Absolutely loved them, you know. The was was the, was their champion in Methuen. <laughs> yeah, oh for sure. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> not only was he the champion in Methuen, but then uh, you know he started to break that out to the rest of the world. So exactly. it was great. Yeah, yeah. I am incredibly excited to introduce a new sponsor to the show, and that is Evil Greed. They are a Berlin, Germany-based merchandise company and mail order. They have worldwide shipping that ships very fast to the United States of America. And the thing that separates them from a lot of other companies, they provide 
web stores and solutions for bands, and they have a very carefully curated roster. They don't open it up to everybody. Just to name some of the bands that they work with. They work with Blood Incantation, Power Trip, Nails, Sergeant House, Closed Casket Activities, Triple B, Russian Circles, Chelsea Wolf, Emma Ruth Rundle, Deaf Heaven, and so much more. So go to evilgreed.net and use this promo code because that will get you 10% off of your first order. 100 words. That is the promo code. So again, 100 words that gets you 10% off your first order. And like I said, they ship this stuff to you very fast from Berlin, Germany. And their roster is really, really cool. And again, carefully curated. They're not just opening the doors up for everybody. But Evil Greed is the place if you are a band looking for a European merch solution that will be able to ship your stuff worldwide. So thank you very much for the support, Evil Greed. Tell me, this is kind of a uh, pet theory I've had in my own head in regards to Jupiter, where, um, you know, because that record, uh, a lot of people had a lot of opinions on it initially, where it was like, oh, you know, I hate them. I want them to, you know, be moshy or whatever. But then a lot of people, you know, myself included, like sat with the record, listened to it a lot, really, you know, soaked in everything that you guys were trying to put forth um, from that record. And I think, and tell me if you agree or disagree, but if you put Jupiter out in, you know, 2022 let's say and obviously in the same sort of trajectory in your career would people uh do you think would have quickly judged the record and not spent time with it and then just kind of moved past it um or do you think that you know you guys benefited from the fact that there was you know quote unquote slower discourse around that record check the back seat check the back seat all right come here check the back seat Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Uh, I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, we certainly felt the discourse for that record when we put it out. Um... It's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's no doubt, you know, and it also it kind of gave us tough skin, you know, because I feel like, you know, we got a lot of shit pre, you know, really early on or pre-internet. Now when it happens on the internet, it's kind of like a joke to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I feel like cause I actually felt it in reality. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's um, true. So, you know, no, I mean, we certainly felt people being disappointed and we, there was certainly, you know, it was, there was people who were pumped. There was people who were definitely like apprehensive being like, I don't know, I'm not sure about this. There are people who are trying to convince us that we were completely made a terrible decision and that we need to go back to making metal and that 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 this is just a fluke and that we'll get back to doing until your heart stops sooner than later and that'll and everything will be fine. Um, you know, the, it, it was a it was a strange time. Uh, for a minute, it seemed like people were upset. However, you know, the, new doors started open for us, new opportunities. We played with. I remember playing shows with Neurosis and being really nervous about playing that jupiter stuff you know and i tell the story about like you know i was i was nervous showing up to sound check at neurosis you know it was very intimidating i mean i don't know if anyone if, if you've ever seen neurosis but they're they they're quite the quite the group man they're quite the presence and oh yeah for sure yeah, yeah you're you're definitely yeah you're definitely not opening for them you know kind of like joking around being like hey guys you know we're just gonna cut it up up here it's like no this is a serious thing like yeah. we, we take this you know very seriously <laughs> yeah i mean and you know they were like the they were we say they were the, like the first grown-ups we ever toured with <laughs> right <laughs> they really, and they really were it. looking back they were the first like grown people we've like adults you know looking back upon it 
Um, but you know, we, it was like an education and also doing that Jupiter stuff. I remember playing in the stream of commerce and Von Till like just standing in front of me and I'm like, Oh my God, here we go. You know what I mean? Here we go. And it was kind of like, should we be doing, should we be digging up the interior heart stuff? And I remember that time we were really hell bent on only doing Jupiter stuff to really force, force the issue for better or for worse. But I mean, I remember the neurosis crowd was really open to it. The neurosis crowd was really open to it. And, you know, neurosis seemed really like they were, it was, they were into the set and it was really, it was like an a affirmation and a really positive moment for the band. And, it was also, you know, like I said, Jupiter gave us a lot of opportunities. You know, a lot of new doors were open for them. We played with like Jess to Brazil. We did shows with Raina, Raina Maria, just different types of things. Uh, all of a sudden, we weren't just doing, you know, metal festivals. And there's nothing against that, but it was just we had a new opportunities for the new opportunities open up for us. And I think we were stoked about that, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I, I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think you guys, uh, you guys toured with Unwound, right? We did do a, a handful of shows in the West Coast with Unwound. And again, yeah, like grownups, you know, grownups with totally. Um, and I think they, you know, this is, I, I'm not sure how much they even played after that. To, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't know. I thought they might've broken up quickly after that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I know. I, I, I distinctly, I think you're correct. Cause I distinctly remember I, I saw you guys. Uh, I mean, you notice a trend here. It's like, I've, I've seen you, like I said, a few times, but <laughs> watching, watching you guys and unwound at like the uh, glass house side stage or whatever. And I think it was like, right, right after that, you know, as the leaves turn or whatever. And then, yeah, they, they kind of, you know, just faded into not actively touring anymore. Right. And I, they, those shows were really cool. And I remember they weren't, you know, they weren't really well attended and I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, the, uh, what's going on? It's now, of course, sure. If I want to play, they blow the roof off the place. But uh, yeah, again, yeah. Like, we got to do cool stuff. I, it's funny. I forgot about that. I want thing to you just reminded me of it again, an awesome opportunity that we wouldn't have gotten if we're playing until your heart stops. And it was really cool. It was, it was really, it was really fun to be around those bands and play like different types of shows in front of different audiences i'm sure we got some new fans um yeah and i don't think we ever wanted we weren't like you know i think that we look back upon you know not abandoning the metalcore stuff at that time was probably not the best idea but again when you're young you don't make the best decisions we were really hell-bent on forcing the issue that this is who we are now and we were doing that for better or for worse you know um right looking back and i, mean, I think yeah, not to interrupt your train of thought, but like I, I totally, you know, I, I see where you're headed in regards to because there was definitely that um, notion, uh, and you guys played into it in a funny way where it was like, you know, you'd start off a, you know, riff from until your heart stops and be like, I'm just kidding, guys, we're not going to play that, and like, <laughs> but you know, like that was I, I I respected it because at the end of the day, it's like this is your guys's band, like you know, we're along for the ride, and you know, if you whatever bum a few people out along the way like you know that is their decision like that's not you know that's not on you guys per se yeah like, i think we you know like i keep on saying for better or for worse you know i i understand going to see a band and having them fuck with you like that and being kind of like right. you. you know what i mean i get yeah. it i i mean if a band played what like a beginning of one of my favorite songs and then didn't play it i'd be like what the fuck you know what i mean <laughs> totally. i get it i totally get it um you know and we've as we've gotten older we've tried to be better and you know i remember know pretty much being fried from the major label experience is why we started playing a lot of those songs again and i'm glad we did you know um it's it's yep. cool to, it's cool to play well-rounded cave-in sets you know and I, I don't think you know i can't really think of anyone who does exactly what we do you know there's people that do things better than us and you know but i don't think there's anyone that does what cave does you know yep no totally 
And uh, in regards to touring, um, I'm sure your uh, relationship with touring has evolved over time. Have you always enjoyed it or has it kind of ebbed and flowed based off of, um, I guess, your own personal um, you know, headspace or has it always been pretty consistently enjoyable for you? Um, I've always loved traveling. Um, I, uh, yeah, no, I, I've always loved it. And, okay. you, you know, but I will say that, you know, I, I look back upon my early twenties. I wish I didn't, you know, I wish I wasn't like shit face and drunk every night. I don't drink anymore. Um, but I look back upon, um, just being, you know, wasted all the time. I mean, I had a blast, but you know, I, I look back upon, I'm like, man, I wish I wasn't shit faced all the time that <laughs> right. you know, drunk the whole three months I was in Europe. Cause I was, you know, and, but this, this is looking back on being young, you know, that's, that, those are my only kind of like, man, I wish I changed that, but it is what it is, you know? <laughs> sure. No, I totally get that. And in regards to, you know, the business of the band, like as you guys started to, and, and I use that maybe in air quotes because, you know, the moment that you get paid $150 for a show, it's just like, oh my gosh, there's so much money. I can't believe that. Um, you know, what was your own personal relationship with the business side of things? Did you like to keep your head kind of out of it because you just enjoyed, you know, all the other aspects of the band or did you like to, you know, take a, a role within that as well? Um, you know, I, I definitely did not for a long time. But I've I've learned as I've gotten older that it's it's good to you know have your head in that which you know I'm I'm like the accountant now but we kind of manage the band together and we kind of all have our individual roles but um you know when I was younger especially you know the antenna era it was all left to other, left to, to other people and I was just being like you know a jerk off twenty two year old you know I was right. I was not paying attention to the the band and you know and I should, probably should have <laughs> but. Sure. Uh, you know, this, these are the things, you know, you look back, this is, this is why I do it now, you know? Um, right. So. Right. The full circleness of it where it's like, okay, that, you know, like that served a time and a place and a purpose for me at that time. But now that, you know, I feel like I maybe have some skills behind me <laughs> to be able to like focus on making some business decisions about this thing. Yeah. And it, you know, if we make all, we do everything together. So if we fail, if we make a bad decision, we made it together. And that's the, I, I like that, you know, um, because we're yeah. going to make mistakes. And also, um, you know, I hate being the band accountant. I hate doing it. However, I know how to be an accountant now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've like, picked up these skills that like, you know, it's, it's weird just from doing it for a couple of years now. It's like, well, I know how to be an accountant, even though I, I, it's miserable for me. I can do it. It's just, you know, numbers on my favorite thing. That's why I always say it's miserable. But I mean, I've, I've gotten pretty decent at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, you know, you want a pivot table on an Excel grid? I got you, dog. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when, um, when you look back at the kind of, you know, like you were mentioning previously with the, you know, antenna cycle, and I know that was such a, you know, wild and interesting experience for you guys, because like you mentioned, you know, getting thrown into major label world. And I remember, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the lore around the idea of getting the record ready is like, dude, I heard Caven's been like living out in LA for like a year and a half writing the record. I just remember all of the, you know, whatever. Not, not like people talking crap on that idea, but just like, wow, that's crazy that Caven gets to participate in this like major label system. Um, I'm sure there was a lot of unique and weird experiences. Um, you know, what are what are things that kind of stand out in your head in regards to like, I can't believe our dumb band from Merrimack Valley is like experiencing this, whether it was a weird show that you played or whether it was just something as simple as like, wow, I don't have to like, you know, worry about paying rent because this is part of like our tour support or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that it was, you know, 
I've, I, my feelings have really come full circle with that whole experience over time. And, um, you know, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into when we did that. And it, like, I just look back and enjoying the whole process. It was fun to be hustled by all sorts of major label characters. You know, they really are depicted. A lot of them are depicted in movies very, very correctly. You know, a lot of these major label sure. people. Um, but it was, you know, it was a trip being wined and dined by some of these characters. And it was a trip to like, oh, go to bring us to a record store, buy whatever you want. You know what I mean? It was stupid. <laughs> like walking out with like grocery bags of CDs. You know, this is a CD era. Um, you know, just like these hotshot major label guys like talking to you like used car salesmen, you know. Um, right. And, yeah, you know, like you said, you, we were we would we didn't live out there for a year. I think we were out there for six months, but it was a trip. You know, Mer- Methuen kids living in Santa Monica for six months. Um, we were living right on the street. Uh, I told this story in other podcasts, but I'll tell it again. You know, there is a there's a building. We, we lived in this place called Citrus Suites, which is kind of right on the right, right on the beach kind of near like the amusement park there whatever it is in santa monica but there was this building behind me that i remember i used to walk by it every day so i'd go out for walks every morning and you look up at the top right of this building and there's this um like punching bag dummy kind of you would seem like in um like kickboxing studios or something it's just like it looks like a human being but it's like a dummy you know just kind of on a stand and i would see it in this window every day and i would look up because i would see, think it was a person but i would notice this dummy and, you know, it's in my memory now, just my time in Santa Monica. Like, remember that? I would see that dummy in that window of the top right of that big apartment building. And then I kind of put it all together years later. That's where the that's where they pulled Whitey Bulger out of. That's the same. That's that apartment. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and the police photos, you see the picture of that dummy that I looked at every day. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, Caven was living a block away from him while we were making antenna. Right. Uh, no, no big deal. No big yeah, deal. That, 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 what a trip. And then uh, as far as shows, shows that stick out for me, I saw John Frusciante solo. Which is, you know, what a trip. I saw him sure. play solo out there. Um, one of the first times we saw High and Fire at the Troubadour, which, you know, High and Fire in the early, you know, oh, seeing them dude. in the early days, they would just, it was, it was a whole different, it was a whole different thing. You know, you yep. remember they first kind of broke out in the scene. It was like, oh my God. Yep. Um, yeah. The art, the art of self defense EP were just being like, uh, oh my God. Like you could not be louder. Yeah. They were, they were amazing. I remember they just ripped their, tore their roof off Troubadour. And then uh, I remember going to the forum and seeing, uh system of a down um uh what's the what's the band who wear the mask slipknot and then oh, sure. I, I saw ramstein which to this day is one of the greatest concert experiences i've ever i'm not even a fan of their music How, that show that concert though was one of the craziest things i've ever seen in my life and i tell people oh yeah hey if you ever have a chance to see ramstein it looks like things are going wrong <laughs> you know what i mean it looks like something bad is happening but it's just a, a performance you know what i mean yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a spectacle in and of itself. That's, a, that's really cool. Um, when, uh, the touring started to die down for Caven, you know, I mean, cause you guys obviously had, uh, you know, hit antenna really hard and you had a lot of, you know, different experiences with that. And then once the band kind of started to, you know, logically, uh, evolve in regards to like, we're not going to spend 200 days of the year on tour. Um, I know you always were active in music, you know, from contributing to 27 and doing all of the other musical projects, but not touring as much. Was it difficult for you to kind of, I guess, ramp that down and then sort of, you know, (laughs) find your identity? I know that sounds very sort of soul searching, but uh, was it difficult to kind of transition out of that? Um, it was, you know, and I realized it at the time, you know, I started a band called Clouds that did some heavy duty touring kind of around, um, you know, Caven kind of fizzled out, I would say 2005-ish is kind of the last one we, kind of when we really start slowed out was 2005. In 2006, 2007, 2008, I did Clouds a lot, which we did a lot heavy, we did a bunch of touring, but 
you know, you kind of learn the lessons of like, okay, well, you're, you know, the members of thing doesn't really get you too far, which that just is what it is. When you have a new band and says members of Cave In, that's all not going to get that. That might, might get you one person, you know what I mean? Might get you one person. You, you totally. Really, when you have a new band, you're starting from year zero, and that's just the reality of it. Um, so you know, it was humble going back to doing, you know, doing some. It was humbling, but also. I, like I said, I really enjoyed playing and I, I got some new experiences, you know, I was fronting those bands. So I, I, I was developing like new skill set of like fronting and singing for a band, which for better or for worse, you know, I, I, I can do now, you know, um, but the self, the, the learning about who you are and this like, self identity, like you said, for sure. And that I didn't realize it while it was happening. Um, it's kind of been a long, because I, all my eggs were in the cave and basket since I was a kid. Um, so right. I'm trying to figure out. And I honestly, I still feel like I'm figuring it out. I really do. You know, I'm uh, like, I feel like I, I, a kid in, in an adult's body, you know, I mean, it just, I, you know, you, 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 the music slows down. So it's like, okay, so you, should I get like a real job now? I'm not touring anymore. You need to get the job that has the good paycheck because that's what you're supposed to do as an adult. And then I get these things and I'm not happy, you know what I mean? And then I get these sure. opportunities to play in other bands or like I, Jake Ben gave me an opportunity to play in Worry Wounds. Mm-hmm. And I remember going back to Europe um, for the first time in like, I don't know, 10, 15 years with, with weary wounds. And it was like, oh my God, I feel alive again. Like, this is, this is what's missing for my life. It's being in a, being in a fucking band, you know, this is what I do. And I don't want to be an event manager anymore. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so yeah. it, it, I, I just think it's just in my blood because I've done it since I was a kid, you know, and I'm, I'm going to do it till the wheels fall off for better or for worse, you know, and th- th- this is what th- I know that now, you know, this is what I'm going to do for better or for worse. <laughs> right, right. It's like, and it's probably the idea that it's like, oh, yeah, you know, until the wheels fall off, but just the idea that no matter what you're doing to, you know, sustain yourself from a sort of, you know, paying rent and, you know, being a responsible human being or whatever all of that is going to be, you know, in service to the fact that you want to play music and be creative, you know, because there's obviously a difference with that, you know, and you've, I'm sure you've seen many peers that are like, oh, yeah, you know, like, uh, I'll, I'll do this job. And then, you know, of course, I'll be able to still have time to do this stuff. But then, you know, like, fatigue sets in and they're just like, hi, oh, you know, we haven't practiced in months. And then all of a sudden that turns into like four years and nothing ever happens. And so, you know, there's, the, there's those two distinct balances that you need to create. Yeah. And, you know, you know, like, Caven spent some really intense formative years together and you know we all had to grow up without each other man that that was forming different bands and that was those um, you know jr and caleb having fans starting families and having children and you know uh getting married us getting some of us getting married things like that um steve moving to new york city for 10 years you know it's just like uh different i think all we all need to take on different things and you know go on different adventures without each other uh whether right. it be like a profession you know caleb became a carpenter um um, or just doing different bands. And I, I think the, all the different music that we've done outside of Caven has made Caven better tenfold, without a doubt. I mean, without a doubt, Caven is better for uh, Caven is better for it with us doing all the different music we've done with other people, you know? Right, right. No, I, I mean, that's true because it's like probably the same notion that, you know, when bands or the old adage that you have your entire life to write your first record and then you have a year to write your second one. And then usually bands, you know, their second or third record, you can see them talking about like, oh man, life's crazy on tour and here's the van. And like, you know, it's giving that real life experience will give you weight to be able to put towards your creative endeavors because, you know, you've experienced life as opposed to just, you know, sitting in a van and rolling around, which is fine. But it's like, if you don't have anything else to leverage that against, you're not pulling from anything, you know, sort of quote unquote real for lack of a better term. 
Yeah, it's like suspended animation. It's definitely yeah. That's just, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's a strange. It's a strange life, and yeah. I mean, now I look at it now. For, you know, back then you, back then you just think you're living this touring life. Now, when I'm when I'm traveling now, I know that there's a beginning and an end, and I just try to live in the moment. And when I if I try to like soak in the place that I'm in and really like uh, embrace it and enjoy the like, especially if I get a chance to go to Europe or even Japan now uh, as an adult, like when I say as an adult, basically not drinking not in my 20s, you know, I, I just really soak it all in and really appreciate it now. It's a whole different trip now, you know. Yeah, it's funny. What, what's the saying? Uh, you know, the youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, there, there's some truth to that statement. Yeah. Uh, uh, two last things I want to hit on was the, um, you know, with the release of the new record, and like, I mean, so much obviously has been covered in regards to, you know, why the record exists, and you know, why you guys obviously, you know, came back together in regards to, you know, Caleb's untimely passing. Um, and th- to me, this feels like even if you were to remove the sort of, you know, uh, the, the Caleb scenario, it seems like this record is a, a real definitive statement um, in regards to the fact like there is a reason that this exists. And um, I, I am sure that that was a very deliberate thing on your guys's part where it's like, OK, this like can't just be another quote unquote record because there's a lot of weight emotionally behind it. And then the fact that, you know, we're coming at this for the first time, you know, releasing new music in 15 plus years or whatever. Um, In short, was that the real intention of you guys as you started to put the music together? Like, Hey, this needs to be something, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, special. I mean, we knew a record without Caleb had to be special, you know, and I, I don't think any of us wanted to go out, I don't think the I don't think Final Transmission. I don't think myself, Steve, or Jared were happy being that being Caven's last statement. You know, as a band, I think it's a good you know tribute to our friend, and that Final Transmission is everything we had with him recording with us. That you know him playing with us, and we really uh, wanted to put that out together. Um, but I don't think we wanted to end the band that way. You know, um, and putting the band back together to do all those benefit shows. You know, it seems it, it, we put the wheels back on Caven, and I think we all loved it, and I think it was healing for us. And, um, you know, I think we could fulfill another vision of Caleb's, which that's what we're, we did. I mean, Caleb, before he passed, we know is very assertive about, we're going to do these demos, but we're going to get back in a studio. He's like, I don't want to do another record like white silence. You know, I don't want to do a practice space record. I think our band will come off better if we develop these songs and get them in the studio and make them sound the best. And, you know, he's right. He was right. You know, and here we are with heavy pendulum. It's not, like, I I remember, when we were live tracking this stuff and coming back and listening to it, I said to Kurt, I'm like, Kurt, I haven't heard us sound like this in years, you know? And that's no offense to our practice space demos. And, but it just, you know, it's a different thing when you're in a studio, a studio with a, a guy who knows what he's doing, you know? Yep, I mean? Totally. It's, it's a whole different trip. And so I feel like we fulfilled the vision of his, it was fulfilling a vision of his. And I also like doing this band is healing for us. And, you know, we talk about him when we're together and he's still very much with us. And I think it's a way to still be connected to him and still feel our love for him and also still, you know, carry this torch on. Um, and I think we feel very lucky to carry this on, you know, yep. um, you know, with, with him being gone, it's, it's a, it's an, it's a you know new reality. It's a new crazy reality with him being gone. And, um, you know, I don't think we take any of this for granted, you know, yeah. it's just, it's, 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 you know, I, I, I'm still wake up every day being, I can't believe he's gone. I still, I, it's still crazy to me. You know, I can't, I can't believe I have to live my life without this dude, but it's, so it goes and, you know, I miss him every day, but, it, um, you know, 
I feel so lucky to still be doing this. I feel so yeah. lucky, you know. Oh, for sure. And honestly, I think that that, um, without set, you know, sounding like a cliche, it really comes across. And I think the, um, you know, not only in the way that you guys are presenting yourself from a live perspective, but you know, the record and just like everything attached to what you guys, um, have been doing seems, um, and it is so intentional. And I think at the core of it is that, you know, root where it's like, we feel lucky that we are still here. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's horrible that we don't get to do this with one of our best friends. And I think that that, that root of it is what makes people, I think, you know, honestly, the, the rapturous praise that people have been giving to this record. So I think it, you know, what long and short way of me saying, like, I think it comes across well. So good job, Adam. <laughs> I mean, thank you. I mean, I'm very lucky to, you know, meet my friends back in the day and, I'm very lucky that Nate knew and joined Caven, you know, I mean, to, to totally. continue on, you know, like it's I, like I said, I'm just living in this moment right now. I, I, I feel like it, you know, who would have thought I'm doing this band in my forties, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. You shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and kind of on that notion, just the last thing, uh, why are you still, I guess, connected and care, not in regards to just like Caven, but, um, you know, keeping up with whether it's, you know, newer music or just staying engaged because obviously the older you get, there is that um, intentionality where you really have to, because you're not going to as many shows or not maybe participating in the scene like you did when you were 17 years old, you know, thank God, because that is for the youth. But um, what still keeps you connected? Is it just that core uh, aspect of the fact that you love music and you'll always continue to care about it? Or is there other kind of um, thought processes that go along with that? Um, It's a couple of things. I mean, I think I'm, I'm still interested in being connected, just being a fan of music. Um, you know, I've have, I've met, I have some younger friends in my life these days that have been really good for me. Um, I work at a tattoo shop and uh, my buddy, Andy Reach, who's, you know, he's 10 years younger than me, but he gets me into all sorts of cool things. You know, he got me into um, that turnstile record. You know, I, that, that record is hot right now. And when he played that for me, I, I was like, I do not want to like this record. And now I love it. You know, he was right. right. You know? <laughs> totally. To- yeah. You're like, right. It's that element of like, oh man, this is like what everybody's talking about. You listen to it and you're like, oh, this is pretty good. I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fiddlehead, you know, same thing. It was like, he played it for me. Like Andy, this sounds like, you know, kind of nineties music, you know, we, it's, this is strange to me now, you know, now I love it. I think it's great. Um, it, it's, it, he gets me, he turns me on to a bunch of things. So it, it's good to be around, you know, his excitement and his taste just to see what's going on. Um, and also like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a jaded old person because, you know, I was around people like that when I was a kid and I want to be inspired by things there. You know, another band Andy got me into was this band Avlov that, um, you know, I, oh, yeah. I, you know, that I think that some of the amazing songwriting and, you know, Andy would play that in the shop and I'm like, what is this? What? And, and again, it, they're because they're younger than me it's a band that's been playing boston for years but i just missed every show because i'm old you know what I mean? sure sure <laughs> um and i didn't know about it it's not on my, it wasn't on my radar but um yep um so i'm interested you know and i, I still get excited i still want to understand what what young people are into as well even if i don't initially you know i come around <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> you're like well and especially too where it's like you can recognize if something is not quote-unquote made for you where it's like okay like you know this is what a 17 or 18 year old is engaging with and like this is not meant for me versus listening to something you know whether it's like fiddlehead or turnstile or whatever and being like oh there's stuff that i like not only recognize but i see that this can you know bridge the gap between you know old and young or whatever yeah i I can and um 
yeah, I mean, I don't like I said, I don't want to be a jaded old person, you know. And I, I, I want, I'm still interested, but I also still love the classics, you know. I still love Willie Nelson, and I still love Neil Young, and my, me and my brother are gonna go see Roger Waters in July. So, <laughs> hell yeah, man, yeah, you gotta keep, you gotta keep that involved. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Adam, thank you so much for hanging out. I honestly really appreciate you letting me uh, ping pong around your brain, but uh, yeah, thank you for uh, all that you've done because I've enjoyed it all the time. <laughs> I, I appreciate all the support and I, I appreciate um you know being reminded of all those shows, you know. Thanks for coming and thanks for all the support. Thanks for listening and uh, Of course, thanks man. Thanks for your time, right? Good to talk. That was Adam and thank you very much to my friend Stephanie who does his publicity. She always brings me some great ideas and great guests and Adam is no exception to the rule. So, thank you very much to both of you for your time. Next week, I have Andy Norton from the band Praise, who they will be uh, coming off of a a hot set at Sound and Fury here in the Los Angeles area. I shamefully will not be at that festival because I actually have to travel to New York for some work stuff, but that's neither here nor there. I spoke to Andy. I love Praise. Praise is such a good band, and again, talking about albums of the year... Their newest record is is definitely going to be on my list at the end of the year as well. So I had to pick Andy's brain, and it was funny because we had some podcast crossover because I heard him appear on uh, my good friend Jeremy Bolm's podcast, uh, first podcast ever. Shout out to that show. He was talking specifically about uh, some some work he did on a Sick of It All record that I helped release on a record label. It was just really funny because they not only did they bring myself and uh, one of my friends up by name, but then they were were like, oh yeah, Andy said that he didn't get paid for this particular picture that he took for the sick of it all layout. And I was like, oh man, I feel like I have to have him on the show to just like directly apologize for that. But you know, it was, and I did, and it was funny. So anyways, Andy Norton from Praise is happening next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Snakes. Zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 